Okay, so we're starting a series today, and for those of you who've been with us for a very long time, you're like, hey, for the time I've been at Westlight, I can't remember the last time we did an Advent series. <laughs> and that's part of the reason of that is because we're not like a high church, liturgical type of church, but, you know, we should do it every once in a while, and we thought this year is better than any other year to do it because, you know, 2020 and 2021 were pretty tough, right? So we're, today we're talking about Advent, and um, the I idea of Advent here, okay, is that, and by the way, some of you guys probably heard the word Advent before, but maybe not all of you, and for those of you who've been coming to church for a long time, you're like, of course I know what Advent is, but you really don't. So today we're going to make it clear what Advent really is, and, uh, and I think this will be good because, you know, these are things that people have been practicing for at least 1,500 years. So what we're doing today is that we're joining in on the tradition of the church for 1,500 years. And uh, I think it's pretty neat once you understand why they, we've been doing this for 1,500 years. So the word Advent comes from the Latin word right here. It's, it's pronounced Adventus, okay? And that means arrival or the arriving. And so the, 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 the basic simplified definition of Advent is this. It's a countdown to the birth of Jesus. Jesus was born about 2,000 years ago, right? And uh, we're like, hey, he was born 2,000 years ago. Let's, uh, let's pretend that we were living back in those days, and let's do a countdown. Now, the weird thing about this, here's a timeline. In the timeline, if Jesus' birth was right here, you have to keep in mind, like, people back then did not expect Jesus to be born on that day. Now, let me, let me clarify what I mean by that. There was nobody at that time who was saying, in four Sundays, Jesus is going to be born. There's nobody back there that was like, all right, guys, Jesus is coming in three hours. In 10 seconds, five, four, three, two, what happy birthday, Jesus, woo! Like, that didn't happen. As a matter of fact, everybody was surprised. So the big question here is why in the world are we pretending to be people who lived back then and then trying to do a countdown to the birthday of Jesus when people back then didn't do it either? You know, like, what, what is the deal with that? I mean, yeah, I know Christians are weird, but that is, if you really think about it, Advent is really strange, isn't it? But, but there's a reason why these people decided to do that. These, these people, meaning like 1,500 years of Christians, why they did this. And by 1,500 years, I mean like 500 years after the birth of Jesus, somebody said, hey, we should do this thing called Adventus, and that's how it happened. But the reason why it was so important is because they were like, hey, you know, if we knew that Jesus was coming, if we knew that the, the Savior of the world was going to come to this earth, and we're going to, you know, like, and, and if we were aware of that is going to happen, then don't you think we should all prepare our hearts for it? They're like, yeah, we should totally do that. So they started doing that. They started, but it wasn't just because they want to do this role-playing thing. They're like, let's pretend like we were people from ancient Israel. No, they were doing that because they also believed that in the future that there's going to be a return of Jesus that Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, but sometime in the future, Jesus is coming back again. And if we learn how to prepare for the birth of Jesus now, then maybe it's preparing ourselves for the return of Jesus. But here's the thing. We, are, we find ourselves somewhere in between. We're living like right here, right? We're like, there's something happened 2,000 years ago. We don't know how many years in the future Christ is coming again. So we're caught in between, and that's why we're calling this series In Between. And what are we supposed to be doing while we're caught in between these two important events? One that's happened 2,000 years ago. The next one, we don't know when's going to happen. But whatever it is, we should let this first one be a lesson to us. 
if we could prepare our hearts, then maybe when it comes to the return of Jesus, maybe we'll be prepared for him when he comes the second time. Now, how do they do this? Well, they said, well, you know, there's a few things that, that the world was lacking at the time when Jesus came, and by Jesus coming into this world, he brought these four things. Here are the four things that Jesus brought into this world. When the baby Jesus was born, he brought in hope, joy, peace, and love. Now, I'm not saying there was no love before Jesus, but in terms of what the real deal is, what does real hope look like, what is real joy, and what is real peace, and what does real love look like, he's like, when Jesus came into the world, then we finally understood what those four things really meant. And if we could prepare our hearts to, to get these things, you know, prepare in our heart, if we get these things inside of our hearts, then maybe when he comes again, we'll be ready for him. So that's the whole deal with Advent. We look to the past so that we're preparing ourselves for the future. And for some of you, you're like, that, that sounds weird. That like, sounds a little too religious for me. We're hoping that this could go beyond that and that we could all connect to this, these topics in a certain way. So today we're talking about the first one, which is hope. We're talking about hope because hope is the first of four. By the way, if you've been to like a traditional church, you've probably seen those candle lights. There's like four of them. And every Sunday somebody shares and they light a candle. That's what those four candles stand for. If you come from a different Christian tradition, those four candles stand for different things like faithfulness and um, the prophets and, you know, but today we're just going by this modern thing, okay? Today we're talking about hope. Now, here's the interesting thing about hope. The way that we in today's world understand hope is different from the way that they understood hope 2,000 years ago. So I'll give you an example of what we think hope is today, and I'm going to call that modern hope. Modern hope is optimism that's derived from circumstances. So I'll give you an example. Let's just say you go to a Laker game, right? The Lakers are playing. Your favorite players are playing. I don't know if you guys are into the Lakers, but, you know, right, you're playing. And this is a perfect example because the Lakers are not doing so well nowadays, right? So, but, so you're, you're, you're sitting in the stands, and, and you're watching the game, and the clock is coming down to, like, 30 seconds. Oh, is this okay? Okay. The clock is counting down to about 30 seconds, and you realize that your team is down by six and it's the other team's ball. You're like, oh man, there's no hope. There's no hope. But then, the guy passes the ball and Westbrook takes the ball. I don't know, let's just say Westbrook takes the ball, passes to LeBron James, and he's outside the arc and he shoots the ball and goes right in, three-pointer, and you realize, wait a minute, the game's down to three, but it's the other team's ball. What should we do? There's only 10 seconds left. So the other team, you know, takes the ball out, takes the ball, and as he passes it, um, AD, he takes the ball, he passes to LeBron, and he gets fouled. Now he's at, the, he, he's, he's at the free throw line. And you're like, wait a minute. We're down by three. It's Laker ball. He's the, he's the one that's shooting free throw. You're like, this is what you would say. We still have hope. Right? Right? Now for the season, I don't know if we hope, have hope there. But like for that game, we have hope, right? And I don't know, maybe when he walked into the, to, to, it's not Staples Stadium anymore. What is it called? Crypto something? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, right? As you walked into the arena, maybe they gave you these free like towels. So you stand up and you start you know doing this because that's what people do on TV. Uh, I'm too poor to go to those games, but that's what I think people do, right? When there's hope, you stand up and you start doing that. Okay, right? That's hope. Or maybe if you're not into basketball, maybe you're into uh, like what I'm into. Like you're into the whole movies, like uh, <laughs> like you know Marvel movies. And you know, there's supposed to be Spider-Man coming out pretty soon, and the tickets go on sale tomorrow. I heard at 12.01, and I heard it's gonna sell out, so Daryl, get on it, we're gonna get tickets, right? But, but here's the thing. 
There's been rumors, if you're into the whole Spider-Man thing, okay, there's been rumors that Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire is going to be in this movie, but so far in all the trailers, they're not in it, right? But there's people who look at these trailers one frame at a time, and they're like, wait a minute, I think I just saw him right there, right? <laughs> and because you saw that one little thing, you're like, there's hope. There's hope that this is going to be the movie I've been waiting for. So the way that we understand hope today, and by the way, if you're not into movies or, you know, into basketball, maybe it's uh, something more serious, like, you know, doctor's office, and they're like, hey, you're, you look pretty good today. It seems like you're getting better. That's hope. Hope, as we understand in today's world, is basically us saying, I just saw something happen right before my eyes that gives me a glimmer of hope. It, it makes me feel like there's optimism. Something good is about to happen because I just saw something. A circumstance right before you happened, somebody just made a three-pointer. I just saw something in a trailer. My doctor just gave me good news that it points to something greater that could happen in the future, right? And if, if LeBron misses both free throws, then you're like, all hope is gone because you just saw a circumstance not go the way that you wanted to go. It wasn't favorable for you. And that's why you don't have hope. That's how we understand hope today. But in the Bible, that's not how hope is described. Biblical hope is optimism derived from the character of God. And this is very different. And by the way, there is overlap. So it's not like one or the other. But just for being clear, I'm going to put them in two different categories. Biblical hope is when you, well, maybe you read the Bible and you heard people say in the Bible, say things like this, like, Nothing looks like it's going, out, going the way I think it should go. But my God is the God of Israel. He pulled me out from Egypt. He helped me cross through the Red Sea. They always look to the past, not a current circumstance. They look to the past, to the character of God, and say, if God did that back then, then he is sure to do it in the future. And this is the big difference between hope, as we understand it, modern hope, and biblical hope. So here's a quote from... Um, a guy I really like, his name is Dr. Tim Mackey. He does this thing called the Bible Project. He says this, hopeful people in the Bible often recognize there is no evidence things will get better. Like, everything looks bad. No news from the doctor. You know, there's, no one's making any free throws. There's nothing in the trailer. But there's no hope when it comes to the evidence that you see around you. But they choose hope anyways because of God's character. When you look at God, you realize it's not over yet. Something good could come out of this because that's just who God is. Another way of putting this is this. Biblical, biblical hope is looking forward, meaning looking to the future, looking to the hope, the brighter future, by looking backwards to the past, how God worked in the past, trusting in nothing other than, the, in, than God's character. That's what biblical hope is. So let's look at the timeline again. In this timeline, we are somewhere here, Right? And so what we do when we think about the future, that's our hope, is that we look to the past, which is the birth of Jesus, and we say, hey, that's where our hope lies. We know that this is something we could count on because of what God did in the past. But you might be thinking, wait a minute, does that mean that people before the birth of Jesus had no hope? Well, let's take a look at that. And this is a perfect example. Like, what if somebody lived over here? If somebody lived over here, what kind of hope did they count on? Well, let's take a look. So one of the things I want to share with you guys is that in the middle of the Bible, there's a collection of poems called Psalms. And if you're wondering, if you don't like narratives, you know, because like a lot of the Bible's narrative is story after story, right? 
And in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, it's basically a collection of poems and songs of people's emotions. Like, this is how I felt when this happened to me. And the perfect example for today's sermon is Psalm 77. And I'm going to be using a translation of the Bible called The Message, which is more street language, so it's easier for us to understand. Let's take a look. <clears throat> I, whoever this person who wrote this psalm is, I yell out to my God. I yell with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs, and he listens. I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. When my friends said, everything will turn out all right, I didn't believe a word they said. Have you been in this situation before when things look really bad and you're praying to God and you don't hear anything in return? And you just feel like you are just wounded. People are saying, it's going to be fine. And you're like, no, it's not. Then you could totally relate to this, to this guy. Next verse. I remember God and shake my head. I bow my head, then wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the day one by one, days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute all through the night, wondering how to get my life together. You stay up all night wondering, how did I end up this way? Where did I go wrong? What choices did I make that made me the way I am right now, where I'm regretting everything in my life. This is the heart of the guy who wrote this. All pure emotion. You know? Next verse. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? He's like, I messed up so much. Even God probably can't stand what, I, what I'm doing right now. Will he never smile again? Is his love worn th threadbare? Has his salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stomped off and left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God retires just the moment I need him. Have you guys been in that situation where you prayed and prayed and prayed and you feel like God has turned his back on you? That's this guy. Now, right now, you know, this guy's not just making things up. He's like, this is what I'm really feeling right now. Now, what I love about the next verse is that at this point, we see what biblical hope looks like. He says, Instead of looking at this because it's so overbearing, I'm going to go look at what God has done in the past. That's the next verse. Once again, I'll go over what God has done. Lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all the things you've accomplished and give a long, loving look at your acts. So he's saying, everything that is messy in front of me, I'm just going to clear the table and start over again. I'm going to start off by looking at what God has done in the past. So he's starting to write down his chalkboard. Oh, yeah, he did this for my ancestors. Oh, this is, there's that thing that happened to me when I was a teenager. And he starts listing all the things that God has done in the past. And then this is what he came up with. Oh, God, your way is holy. No God is great like God. You're the God who makes things happen. You showed everyone that you can, uh, what you can do. You pulled your people out of the worst kinds of trouble, rescued the children of Jacob and Joseph. What he's doing here is that he's looking back at his own Jewish past. His Jewish past is basically, we used to be slaves in Egypt. God pulled these people out, okay, and they walked through the Red Sea, and they found freedom. It's like, you did that for my ancestors. And he's like, the, the children of Jacob and Joseph, who are they? Well, that's, that's the Jewish nation, but, but what they were known for is, like, especially Jacob, he was a deceiver. <laughs> he lied over and over and over again. He put himself in the mess that he's in. So he's thinking, if you were able to work with my ancestor Jacob, who was such a mess up, you know, he screwed up way too many times for us to count, right? Then surely you could still work in my life. And then 
he thinks about the Exodus story, the part where he crosses the Red Sea. And this part might confuse you, so I'm gonna give you a little quick context. Um, back in those days, they didn't just, when they went to the Red Sea, they didn't just see water. They saw the, the God of the Red Sea battling with their, the God of Israel. Okay, so when he split the Red Sea, they understood that back then, then as the God of Israel conquered and controlled the Red Sea, conquering the, the spirit of the ocean. So that's what they believed back then. So here he's going to personify some elements of nature. So don't be like, weirded out by it. Okay, this is what he says. Ocean saw you in action, God. He saw you and trembled with fear. Deep ocean was scared to death. Clouds belched buckets of rain. Sky exploded with thunder. Your arrows flashing this way and that. From whirlwind came your thundering voice. I mean, you can kind of see the power of God in display. Next verse. Lightning exposed the world. Earth reeled and rocked. You strolled right through ocean, walked straight through roaring ocean, but nobody saw you come or go. He's painting for us like, when I start writing down the things that God has done for us, you know, for me and my ancestors, oh my goodness, he's done some amazing stuff. Like he was able to split the Red Sea. This is just mind-blowing. And then he says, oh, but nobody saw you come or go, meaning you're invisible. Nobody saw you coming into battle. No one saw you leave. Like nobody knew. The people who are on the outside watching in had no idea that you were actually at work. And then he concludes with this last verse. Hidden in your hands, uh, hidden in the hands of Moses and Aaron, you led your people like a flock of sheep. This big, majestic, powerful God, right? He just painted for us this ultimate cosmic power. He says, fits into the hands of a man, Moses, Aaron. What he's saying here is this powerful and majestic God could fit in your pocket. So sometimes he feels absent. Sometimes you don't even know that God is working around you because you don't see him come or go. As powerful as he is, he is peaceful and silent as something that could just fit in your hand. He's with you all the time. This is how hope works. So, so let's break it down. So when it comes to perception, right, this is the perception that the psalmist had. He says, God has given up on me. I messed up way too many times. There's no way that God is going to give me another chance. As a matter of fact, I've been praying and praying and praying and nothing's happening. Is there something, like, he's writing, like, maybe he, maybe he retired. Maybe he was like, that's it. Kotz has messed up way too many times. I'm, flowing, I'm throwing in the, the towel. I'm done. Like, I've never seen anybody sin as much as Kotz. I'm done, right? You walk away. That's what the psalmist is thinking. That's the perception that he has. But he looks to the past. And the past is that the powerful God was with our rebellious ancestors even when they didn't know it. Even when they messed up, and the Israelites, they messed up way more than this psalmist has ever messed up. They put themselves in these situations that you probably would never even imagine because it was so bad, and God didn't give up on them. When he looks to his past, he realizes God didn't give up on them. And there are times that God seems silent, but that doesn't mean that God's not with us. So, by looking into the past, God's character, he came to this conclusion, my hope is that God is with us even when circumstances seem bleak. Do you see how hope works like in the biblical days and how it's different from today? Today, we're looking at little sparks of inspiration, right? Ooh, did mom just buy, uh, you know, like a nice piece of meat? Oh, that means I have hope that tonight's dinner is gonna be really good, right? 
But that's not how hope worked in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Hope worked based on character of God. Like, because I know God is a provider, I know we're not going to go hungry forever. Do you see the difference? It's based on the character of God. It's not based on events that's happening. So biblical hope, I'm going to say this again, is looking forward to the hope that we have in the future by looking backwards to the character of God, what he's done in the past, trusting in nothing other than God's character. So looking at this timeline again, we just discussed what it felt like to hope before the birth of Jesus. Before the birth of Jesus, people looked to the story of the Exodus. People looked to the story of Genesis. They looked to the story of King David. I don't know, wherever you are in that timeline, you always look back to whatever you think God has done for your ancestors. But here's the deal. We are now living here. We're in between the birth and the second coming, right? So we are people who look back to this event right here. This is our past. Jesus has set for us a new hope. That's a Star Wars title, I just realized. But okay, but here's the thing. When we look back to our past and say, what, can we, what do we look at? What event of God can we look at for us to know what our hope is? We would say, Jesus. And we will, as Christians, we will often say the resurrection, when Jesus rose from the grave again. But for the sake of this series, because we're in Advent right now, we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus and how that has changed us. Because before this whole, before in the Old Testament, the question they kept on asking was, where is God? Has God given up on us? And so they needed that hope to know that, that God has not given up on us. And the culmination of that hope was the birth of Jesus, God with us. But now that we are on the other side of the birth of Jesus, the, what are the questions that we're asking today? We're asking questions like, does God have a plan for us? What is God's plan for humanity? Has, is he going to give up on us? Where is this all going? Is, are we, are we going to end with the world burning or are we going to end with the world being redeemed? Like, what kind of world should we hope for? And so what we're going to look at for the next few minutes is one of the main stories of the Christmas story and it's going to tell us what we should hoping, be, be, be putting our hope in because this is going to help us understand how we should live today. Okay, so here we go. We're going to be looking at a story in the book of Luke, chapter 2, and this is a story about a guy named Simeon. Now, back in those days, if you are a baby, um, or if you're the parents of a baby, um, you would take your baby after 8 to 10 days, and you take him to take your baby to the temple and have the baby dedicated. Okay, and so Mary and Joseph just had baby Jesus, and now they're going to take... Uh, baby Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. This is where that story takes place. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, we just met him, who was uh, righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, we'll talk about that in a second, and the Holy Spirit was on him. What is the consolation of, of Israel? A little context again. In the book of Genesis, there's a guy named Abraham. He's the founder. He's the first person of the nation of Israel, Okay. God gives Abraham this simple task. Well, it's not simple, but it's, a, it's, easy, it's easy enough to remember, hard to execute, which is, I want you to rescue the whole world. <laughs> One job, that's it. Rescue the whole world. The way you're going to do it is that you and your descendants, which is eventually called Israel, you and your descendants are going to bless every single person you come across. It's pretty simple to remember, really hard to do, right? But over time, if you read the Old Testament, this is what happens. Israel starts to get full of themselves. They're kind of like, hey, um, God chose us, not them. So we're pretty awesome, I guess, you know, <laughs> right? And so they, they, they start messing up. 
And because they start messing up, they start making a lot of bad decisions. They don't help the people around them anymore. So all these other nations start intruding and coming in and destroying their land, taking over their land. And since then, it's been happening over and over and over and over again. And by the time that Simeon is alive, there's been the, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, there's the Greek, and now the Romans. The Romans are here, and they're taking over the land. And remember, if Israel was supposed to be the nation that's supposed to save the world, rescue the world, right? But right now, they can't even save themselves because they're being intruded, and they have, like, the Roman occupation happening. Like, they're a laughingstock. They were supposed to be the light of the world, and now people are laughing at them because they can't even help themselves. And so, Israel has been looking for a consolation. Somebody needs to console him. Some, some, somebody to say, there, there, Israel, everything's going to be fine. And Simeon received a word from God saying, one day you will meet somebody that will bring consolation to Israel. That's what this is. Simeon has been praying, please save Israel, because if you save Israel, we could go back to saving the world. That's, that's what's happening. Next verse. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Messiah is a prophesied character in the Old Testament that's going to come soon, right? That, that says there's a person who's a king. Messiah means king. A king's going to come who's going to fix everything. Take all the wrong things and make it right. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. He's like, I have a feeling that God is telling me that today I'm going to meet the Messiah, the one that was promised for centuries now. Next verse. When the parents that's Mary and Joseph, brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms, which I'm hoping he asked for permission, uh, and praised God, saying, and this is what Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I have finally seen the promised child, the Messiah. Now I could die in peace. That's what he's saying. For my eyes have seen your salvation, we'll come back to that, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Okay, this is really cool. This is what Simeon's saying. All my life I've been waiting for Israel to get back on the right track. And God promised me that one day I will meet the one that's going to help us do that. And I believe it's this child. Salvation here isn't about going to heaven after you die. This, he's talking about when is God going to come to this earth and fix everything and save all of us, rescue all of us. If he rescues Israel, then he's going to rescue the whole world. You see, the hope that Simeon has here is not a, a hope of one day I'm going to die and go to heaven. What he's talking about here is one day God's going to come to this earth and he's going to fix everything. So, if we were to, now, we are people who are after the birth of Jesus. The perception right now is this, okay? Because we all have a perception of what hope is. The perception is this. The world is getting worse. Have you guys seen the world? God has given up on the world. There's a new variant. What is it called? Omicron? It sounds like a transformer name, but yeah. The world is more divided than it's ever been before, at least in my lifetime. We have friends who have not made it through the pandemic. Sometimes it's hard to find a job. I mean, it's like, it feels like, God, are you sure this world is going to get better? Because right now it seems like things are getting worse. Have you given up on us? That's us today. But if we look at, I mean, if you look at circumstantial hope, our modern version of hope, we would say there is no hope. 
I mean, is there something that we were looking forward to? I mean, when the, when the vaccine came out, we we're like, yay, right? But then not everybody wants to take the vaccine. And we're like, well, I, I thought we had hope, but the circumstances changed again. And now there's another variant, and I don't know, we have to get a booster now, right? Like, we're like, what happened to the, you know, these are circumstantial hopes. That's modern hope, but biblical hope is, no, we're gonna look to the past and see what God has done in the past. So this is the past that we just read about. God is not giving up on humanity. This world matters. Notice what Simeon experienced. What he experienced here is this. God wasn't saying, hey, Simeon, Israel messed up. Israel was supposed to save the world, but Israel messed up. You can't even save yourself right now. So maybe one day when you die, I'll take you to heaven. That's not what God is promising in this story. He's saying, no, I'm not just going to save you. I'm going to bring myself to this world in physical form to form a relationship with you. I'm going to come into this world in physical form to heal the sick. I'm going to come into this world because I love this world so much. I love the people of this world so much that there's a person who's an outcast because society deemed that person to be an outcast. I'm going to go have lunch with her. I'm going to go reach out to that person. I'm going to go take care of this person who everybody has neglected. God, according to our history of what God has been doing, God is not going to give up on humanity because God loves this world so much. And because of that, we have a biblical hope, which is God has not given up on us, no matter how much humanity has messed up. And we know this to be true because we can look to our past at God's character and say, this is how God has acted in the past. And because of that, we could count on him to be just the same today and into the future. We could count on the fact that God loved us back then, and therefore he's going to love us today and into the future. So let's look at this timeline again. We are people who are caught in between. We are people who are living in between uh, the event of the birth of Jesus and the return of Jesus. And we could count on the hope of the return of Jesus because we know the past. We know the character of God. The birth was confirmation of that hope. And because of that, we could count on the fact that the return is gonna be exactly the same. Because we could always say, how do you know this is true? It's because we know that God is who is, it's because we know who he is. We know who God is. This is why it's so important to study the Bible it's why, this is why it's so important to pray to God. It's because the more we get to know who God is, the greater our hope is. If you don't know who God is, and if you're like listening to other people talk about God, you know, and like, oh, I think God is just playing a cool trick on us, or, you know, people will have their own opinion about who God is, then your hope is totally going to be reflectant, re- reflective of that version of God. We study the scriptures, we go to church, we talk about what God's been doing in our lives with each other, we share testimonies with each other, because by doing that, we have hope for the future. So the question I have for you guys today is this. Are you in need of hope? I know for a fact that some of us have lost family members. It's been really sad. Some of us, we don't know what we're going to do in the future. Some of us, because, you know, our kids have not been in school for a long time, they're like, I'm wondering how the development of my child's going to be. Is there hope for the future for a healthy child? Maybe you've witnessed or you've been a part of, been a victim of all the crime that's been going on. Are you in need of hope? Instead of looking at 
Is the police doing their job? You know, is, is the people who elect, are they doing their job? Instead of looking at the circumstances around us, what the Bible calls us to do is ask a different question, which is this. What do you remember about God? Maybe as a teenager you had an experience. You had an experience with God that was rich. And you're like, yes, I felt the love of God back then. I felt like I was not alone. And because of that, even though I might not feel him today, I know I'm not alone today. Because I look back to the character of God. And maybe it's not your own experience. Maybe you read the Bible. If God acted that way back then, then I have hope for today. And I have hope for the future. So what are you need, where do you need hope in your life? And what do you remember about God? Let's pray.